everyone. Welcome to Adventures in Autism, episode 15. I am Megan Carranza. Thank you so much for listening. If you are a returning listener, thank you. If this is your first episode, welcome. I hope you enjoy the show. Today's show is really awesome. I'm talking with a fellow autism mama, Sarah, and we will kind of get into sort of how we met and how we have um, sort of just struck up a friendship. (laughs) And I feel like she's someone who uh, I've talked to quite a bit since before we recorded the podcast and after. Um, And she talks all about her journey with her son, Aiden. And they had a pretty unique journey to to getting to his autism diagnosis, uh, different than anything that I had heard before. So I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. Good. Welcome to Adventures in Autism. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to to chat with you. So I feel like Sarah and I, we don't know each other, but I feel like we're old friends. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We connected um, right after I I launched the podcast um, through social media. And we ended up like chatting on the phone one night and it was just like a really wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, for sure. And Sarah has a really interesting journey and she also has a really awesome platform that she's kind of working on now, like just starting herself with families who, you know, face uh, different challenges, so if you will, and working with them on being able to take some really awesome vacations because that can be definitely you know a little more difficult when you have kiddos with special needs so so you'll get into all that also yes um but let's let's start really at the beginning okay take us back to um where things started for you and your your autism journey sure so um you know I've been listening to the podcast and uh you know my journey is a little different because Aiden, who's my son, who is now nine, will be 10 in February, um, wasn't diagnosed with autism until he was eight. So um, while autism isn't new, and I'll explain why as I go through my story, um, we we didn't kind of get the the grieving process that some people do where they you know, imagine that they're going to have this child that's going to be the one way. And then when it's not, they're sort of you know, there's that period of grief where you're, you have to figure out what the new normal is. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so when I was pregnant, so, um, my husband, um, and I work for the government and, um, when we were pregnant, when we got pregnant, we were stationed in Amman, Jordan, uh, the Jordanian people are, are wonderfully welcoming. And so it was a great environment to have a baby. So I have, um, uh, high blood pressure I have since I was a little girl and, um, they knew that Aiden was likely to come early, but they were going to manage my blood pressure as, as best they could. Mm-hmm. Um, about 24 weeks into my pregnancy, I started to feel something was not right. Um, woke up sort of with um, what they call band pain, um, sort of around right under my ribs and went to the the health unit and and got a test and it looked like um, I was not doing well. I had, was in uh, early stages of preeclampsia. So um, a decision was made that I would need to 
um, go back to the United States as quickly as possible to have the medical care. And so, you know, a decision was made. I needed to return. So this was like on a Wednesday. I had scheduled my flight for Monday, the following Monday, because there was things that needed to be done. Like I needed to get um, things in order. And, you know, my husband had to figure out what he was going to do. Well, on by Friday, I was back in the hospital in the ICU in Jordan. And um, I had I had migrated from preeclampsia to something called help syndrome, which is where you're um, liver platelets attack the rest of your organs. So um, you, you sort of the liver enzymes rather attack the rest of your organs. So um, you lose platelets, you lose the ability to clot. So if the baby had to be born, you know, there was, there was a time, you know, that they, they had to deliver the baby safely in order to preserve my life as well um, based on what was going on. So in the middle of the night on a Friday, which for those Jewish listeners out there like myself is the, is the Sabbath in Israel, I was sent across the border from Jordan to Israel and uh, gave birth four days later in, um, in, is in Jerusalem and Aiden. So Aiden was 26 weeks and um, you know, with, and he was underweight anyway because of my blood pressure. So he weighed about a pound. Um, And, and so we started off our journey, not too concerned about, you know, the cognitive delays or anything, because we, we really, there was a, there was a sense of like, you cannot, think about the future right now you just have to go day to day and um you know the first milestone is one day does he live one day then it's three days then it's five days then it's seven days if he lives if he lives seven days then is it a month you know and 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 so for a while it was just getting to the next milestone um the next day it sounds yeah and you know and so we were we were overly consumed with things like he, you know, he was ventilated for a really long time. So then there was a talk of, okay, well, he's been ventilated for so long. You're really going to have to concern about his lungs or, um, you know, his, his, he, they monitor them for brain bleeds. So, uh, they monitor them on the first day, the fifth, third day, fifth day, seventh day. Those are the milestones I said. Mm-hmm. And on the seventh day, he got a brain bleed. So it was like, oh, they my. were, they were like writing the email to the embassy saying this baby is fine. And then he got a brain bleed. Oh my goodness. So, so you were still in Israel. like the We were time. in Israel. Right. And we were being, you know, there's a, there's a worldwide network. So we were being cared for appropriately and monitored and, translated you know they sent a nurse over from the consulate in jerusalem to to translate um what a crazy situation though it's like here you are you have this baby so early you think you have all this time and then it's like surprise here's your baby now it's like this is a pretty grave situation you're in another country i mean that's that's a lot yeah and you know and uh, my husband and i deal with things very differently i'm very like we uh we started a blog to, you know, alert our family because we didn't really have a a way to communicate with them other than sort of like Facebook. Now this was back in 2007. So this was like before everybody was on social media. So, um, you know, we had the limited email, we didn't really have cell phone. Um, and so, um, or 2009 rather, I'm forgetting what years it is. Anyway. Um, but anyway, so, uh, we, we made this blog and as part of the blog, I would, every day I would say, this is his weight. This is his saturations. This is it. Like, cause I'm very much like, I need to know exactly what's going on. And the reality of it is what grounds me. My husband, on the other hand, is very much like, everything is fine. Everything is fine. Everything is fine until it's not. And then he like crashes. 
So, you know, he was always telling his family, oh, the baby's going to be great. We're going to stay in Jordan. And I was like, no, they're not going to let us stay in Jordan. We're going to have to go back. You know, he's going to need therapy. He's going to need, you know, all this stuff. And my husband was like, no, 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 he'll be fine. And then I remember, so about two months in to our NICU stay. So he was in the NICU in Jerusalem for five months. And um, two months into our NICU stay, they decided to take him off the ventilator. Well, if you ever met Aiden, you'll know that he is the most stubborn child. And to his credit, (laughs) that is probably why he's still alive today. Because he (laughs) came out of the womb punching, you know, punching the nurses, punching everybody. Um, Go ahead. I said he's clearly a fighter. Oh, yeah. Definitely the fighting spirit. So um, they said, let's, uh, let's give him... You know, let's take him off the ventilator and see what happens. So he did okay. And then about halfway through the night, um, he decided to stop breathing, which he does frequently. So he decided uh-huh. to stop breathing and he, in all intents and purposes, began to fail. And so they, they like push us out of the NICU. They start um, compressions and they say, you can't come back for a couple days and blah, blah, blah. They had to put the ventilator back in. Well, my hu- that was the first day my husband cried in the parking lot, broke down. And I think it was just that it took that long for him to realize that it wasn't going to get better Aww. right away. You know, mm-hmm. he will be fine, but there's a reality to the situation that you have to deal with in the moment. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then, then it was more like, okay, we need to go back to the United States. Okay. Now. So at the end of the five months, he was stable enough to get on a plane. He was transported in an incubator with a doctor and a nurse and myself on an L all air flight from Tel Aviv to New York. Um, and I mean, that's a whole other story in itself. Super funny. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, medical tourism, by the way, El Al will give you um, a discount on your airfare if you fly with oxygen or a medical attendant. <laughs> oh, <laughs> things you learn when you fly with a child in an incubator on an airplane. Anyway, yeah. um, so we got back to the United States and he was in the NICU, like a step down unit in the NICU there for about a month. And that was just mostly to to transition, to make sure that the care that he had received in Israel was appropriate with the care that he would have received in the United States. Um, and and then at that at that point, it was we started to talk about the what ifs. OK, so he had this brain bleed. It was not a level four, which is severe. It wasn't a level one. It was a level two, three. So there was a lot of talk of, well, we don't know what's going to happen. He may have no problems. He may have cerebral palsy. He may have, you know, cognitive delays. We don't know. You won't know. And mm-hmm. so that that really began to define our journey with Aiden. The first, I would say, two years was simply medical. Um, the beauty of having him born in the NICU was that services were set up immediately. So from the, his release of the NICU at six months of age, he was already in PT, OT, and speech that came to the house via social services. Um, speech? So, at six yeah. Months. yeah. It wasn't considered early intervention at that time. We were in the state of Virginia. Um, they do start child fine, which is their early intervention at three. And they will transition you if your child has you know, severe needs like this, they will transition you from social services to that child find at the age of three. So, so Aiden, you know, and, you know, we have private insurance, but Aiden qualified for supplemental and that's how he got through social services. So, um, you know, from this, from the get go, he was given a lot of input, but nothing, 
was working. And, and the other issue was that his medical stuff sort of compounded. So he had a very weak suck reflex. He couldn't take a bottle very well. So upon release from the NICU, he needed to have a feeding tube uh, because he wasn't getting enough calories to, to sustain his growth. Um, well, a, he had a nasal tube at first. Well, that irritates your throat. I mean, it's for a little baby, especially it's very scary to have that in your body. So he stopped opening his mouth at all. Oh my. So his speech therapist was trying to get him to like take little puffs and, you know, he, she would rub them against his cheek and he would just purse his lips like he didn't want anything in his mouth. So that set off, you know, a whole other thing. And then we had to end up putting in a, 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 a gastric tube, which mm -hmm. is the kind that goes to the stomach. So um, and then at that point, he was doing a lot of there was a lot of vomiting going on. There was just a lot of other things that weren't related to his development that were affecting his development. Um, you kinda... and, you know, it's funny because we would go, we had a great pediatrician and she, you know, we, we had like a separate door we would go in so that he wouldn't be among the other kids and she would only see him in certain rooms so that he wouldn't be infected. I mean, I would tell, I could tell you like every time we saw her, she would send him to the emergency room for something. He was on a medication that made him have high blood pressure. So he had to go to the emergency room. He had, you know, he get he got like RSV vaccines um, because he, his lungs were so bad. One time he had a bad reaction, he had to go to the emergency room. You know, they thought he had pneumonia, he had to go to the emergency room. Like oh every goodness. week we were in the emergency room and someone told me that for every day they spend in the hospital, their development is set back by like six weeks or something. I don't know. There's some calculation about it. Oh, so wow. he, yeah, he was in the hospital a lot, like the first two years. And so we figured, you know, he'll get there, but it will be slow. So about the time he turned two and a half, um, we decided, my husband and I decided, uh, we, he, he had some, uh, gastric issues other than the feeding tube. He wasn't eating and um, was just vomiting a lot. And so we felt like if he could start to learn to eat solid food, that maybe some of that would go away. And we had seen, I don't know, every gastroenterologist on the East Coast, like Johns Hopkins, Children's National, all of them. And they all said, he'll grow out of it. Like he's a preemie, he'll grow out of it. But he wasn't growing out of it and he wasn't gaining weight. So we took him down to the Children's Hospital of Richmond, Virginia, which is actually, I'm from Richmond. So it was um, in my backyard, sort of. And they have a feeding, an inpatient feeding clinic there. Um, Aiden stayed for three months and moved from like not opening his mouth at all to accepting a spoon and eating like a, like a baby food puree. So that, yeah, that was huge, you know, yeah. like to mm -hmm. go from nothing, like physically not even opening his mouth to, you know, opening his mouth and allowing that, um, was big. Now, at the same time, like he had not spoken at all. And he was delayed in all of his milestones. So he didn't walk until about 20 months. He didn't really crawl till about 18 months. Um, but he wasn't at all talking. He wasn't babbling. He wasn't making noises because he wouldn't physically open his mouth. Mm -hmm. So, um, so as we did this feeding program, I started to notice that he now that he was opening his mouth that he would start to babble. And he would make you know, like, like little baby babbling sounds for like two weeks. And then it would stop as if it had never happened as if I was dreaming it. And it, he would not talk for three months. And then all of a sudden he would babble incessantly for like two weeks and then he would stop. And that's kind of the first time I started to, 
to really have a sense that maybe something besides his prematurity was wrong, was going on. And so he started child fine at the age of three, they put him into a preschool classroom and um, he got his speech and occupational and stuff through there. And um, yeah, he just, he would, he would get to a point where he was actually saying like a few words like mama. I think he said his first word was fish. I think mama, (laughs) dada and fish. I don't, we don't even own a fish. I don't know where that came from, but those were the words that he could say. So he, would get there and he would say them for like two months and then it would stop. And his teachers were like, what's going on? I was like, I don't know. So at that point we saw a neurologist and he said, you know, one of the things that you should consider is sort of this uh, idea of cyclical development that they go up, they go up, they go up. And then there's like a drop. They don't drop all the way back down, but they drop maybe half the way back down and then they do it again up, 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 up. And then they drop. And so as opposed to other kids that might develop like in a line, whether it's straight or not, it's in a forward line. Mm-hmm. He was, he was developing in a spiral oh, where wow. he would go up and then back down and then back up and then back down and then up. Mm-hmm. And he felt like perhaps that was what was going on with his eating. And, and there was a whole host of things that, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't walk very well. He's still to this day sort of toe walks and he was wearing orthotics at the time. They thought he had, um, like a, a minor cerebral palsy where it was like one side weak, left side weakness from the brain damage. There was just like, nobody was willing to say anything. They just sort of all said, it will, it will get better. He'll grow out of it. Um, so, and that, and that sort of carried us until he was five. And when he was five, we, he was going to graduate preschool and move to kindergarten. At the same time, my husband got a job in London. And so we decided, well, we will start his kindergarten in London, but we'll go through the IEP process so that we have a baseline for what they're going to do. So they said, and at this point, nobody has mentioned autism because everyone says he'll grow out of it. He'll grow out of it. He'll grow out of it. And what's funny is I just started saying he has autism because it was easier for me to lump his symptoms under that than explain to people what was really wrong. And I know that sounds horrible, but like we were at a barbecue and he was spinning in circles and humming and doing his things he normally did. And some woman out of the blue, like we don't even know her, comes up, and goes, oh, is he on the spectrum? And rather than being like, no, he's premium, blah, 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 blah. I was just like, yes. It was just, you know, it to me, it seemed the natural diagnosis for everything that was going on. You know, he was stimming. Did he really was... feel that that was what was, what was going on? I mean, I, that's the thing I don't, I did so much research, you know, you Google everything yeah, and it felt like it, it felt like that was what it was, but nobody, everybody kept saying he'll get, he'll grow out of it. He'll grow out of it. He'll grow out of it. He's a preemie. Don't label him, give him all the things, but you know, he wasn't speaking. He was turning in circles. He was humming. He wasn't making eye contact. He had terrible sensory aversion. Like he would not, he couldn't be near like anything that made noise without having a complete meltdown. He, um, he of course didn't eat because of the feeding tube, uh, but there was a texture aversion. Like they would do f- shaving cream in preschool and he mm-hmm. would freak out. Oh, wow. um, he wouldn't even put his hand in it. He didn't like to sit down in the grass. I mean, there was like, there was a lot of things that were pointing to me, like something else was wrong, but nobody was willing to, and, and something else happened and this might not, you know, 
about when he turned three, we stopped going to GI doctors at all. And when he got to be five, we did another inpatient um, stay in the feeding clinic. And they finally were able to diagnose why he was vomiting all the time. And they treated it. And within like days of them treating it, he was like a whole different child, like a whole, like eating and talking and doing all this stuff. He had been in pain for so long. And I, I felt like at, when I had stopped going to the GI, I had given up. And the only reason I did that was because they kept making me feel like I was crazy. Like I would say, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And they'd be like, no, he'll grow out of it. He'll be fine. It's normal for a preemie, blah, blah, blah. And then come to find out two years later that I've let this go on. I'm, and I know that it's not no. my fault, but I felt this at the time. I felt this huge guilt mm-hmm. that I wasn't pushing hard enough for someone to identify whatever was going on and to help me fix it. Yeah. And so to me, yeah, we didn't say he was autistic or anything like that. But when people would ask, I would say, have you heard of autism? They'd be like, oh, yeah. I was like, it's like that. Okay. Because to me, it was just easier than having to explain, oh, he has sensory problems. He doesn't hear well. He doesn't see well. <laughs> you know, there was like all of these various things that were going on. So so when we did the IEP and in going into kindergarten, now, mind you, he cannot eat on his own. He's still tube fed 100%. He is not toilet trained. He's at, at five. He's still not toilet trained. He's nonverbal. He um, has very low muscle tone in his hands, so he cannot, like, use scissors on his own. He cannot put on his own clothes, any of this stuff. Um, and my and he's been in OT and speech and everything since the beginning. It just hasn't really gotten anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, and they said, oh, he's, a de- he's on a developmental delay diagnosis, so we're going to give him 30 minutes of speech once a month. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, um, how, who's going to feed this child? Who's going to take this child to the toilet? You know, or change his diaper because he's still in diapers at that point. And they're like, well, that's not really our concern. And I was like, oh, but it is your concern. Like, you cannot leave him in class to to fail like this. Where was this at? Like, where were you at this time? So this is in Virginia. It's a suburb of Washington, D.C., Prince William County. Um, sort and of a they, rural school district, I would they say. They don't have like special needs, like cert, like schooling. They do, they do, mm-hmm. but they, without that autism diagnosis, oh, they okay. said, you know, on a developmental delay, he meets. They have to meet thirty percent of what a normal child would function in the classroom, and they felt like he met thirty percent. And I was like, I really don't understand. I don't understand how you can look at this child all of these things and say that he meets your criteria. I was like, you know, he can't use scissors. He can use scissors 30% of the time is what they said to me. And I was like, oh, wow. no, no, he really can't. Like he might try 30% of the time, <laughs> but how, how often is he successful? You know? Um, and so we went to London sort of dejected a little bit with the public school system. And I, I vowed at that point, I was never, we were never going to go back. We were just going to stay overseas forever and never go back. <laughs> So we moved to London and we had the extreme fortune of finding a little neighborhood school, private, um, for speech and language disorders. Um, Most of the children in Aiden's class were autistic, 
but the kids in the class older, some of them just had sort of disordered speech or apraxia or, you know, some of the other speech disorders. And it was, you know, it was just two classes of kids. It was very um, nurturing. They, within four months, he was toilet trained. He was eating on his own. He was, you know, because, and, you know, they, and he was verbal. All of a sudden he was like chatting, like, I mean, you couldn't really understand him, but when you, when you really listened, like he was making full sentences and it was, it was shocking to me. But when I looked at what they were doing, you know, everything was built into their day. So they had like four or five OT breaks. They had dance class, they had speech throughout. So it wasn't just dedicated speech. Every single class was taught with a speech methodology and then every student got individual speech. So it was, you know, every child was blooming, you know, and it was, it was incredible to see the progress that Aiden made in such a short amount of time. Um, That is incredible. Yeah. And, you know, kind of lucked out that that was what happened because if we had stayed, I don't, I really don't know. I kind of shudder to think what would have happened to Aiden. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm in a kindergarten class of 30 people with no aid and not toilet train. <laughs> it's like, oh my I really don't understand yes. how that's going to happen. So, um, <clears throat> all right. So yeah, I'm sorry. My story is getting pretty long here. So um, <laughs> that's, it's interesting. It really, I, there's a lot of twists and turns. So his second year in London, the school moved from this um, sort of pastoral setting. They had a nice little park adjacent to them to a very city um storefront and i don't know i think it was in poor taste from the uh, administrators to make that change especially with a bunch of children that have problems with transition but um aiden developed severe severe anxiety and i think it was so we started um a sensory occupational therapy because his sensory issues were so bad at that point noise and texture specifically that um we just felt like, oh, maybe this will help, you know. So to the day we started the sensory therapy, he regressed in his development about three years. He stopped being toilet trained. He stopped eating. He stopped speaking. He stopped making eye contact. So it was like, I, I don't know what happened. He would cry from the moment he awoke till the moment he went to sleep. Um, he was vomiting again, which he hadn't been doing since we had gotten him treated. So, um, Oh, how disheartening. I know. So gosh, we took advantage of the practitioners in London and had a full um, neuropsych eval. Um, The way they do it in London, they he saw like several different psychologists. Some did testing. Some looked more like the emotional side. Some looked at the family dynamics. Um, Some looked at speech and occupational and all this other stuff. Oh, and I forgot to mention, we had done this before, right before going to London. The neuropsych had said nothing about autism. He scored like at the one percentile across the board. And again, the message to us was he'll grow out of it. So we didn't think anything of it. So again, we did this, this new neuropsych eval in London. And, and a lot of interesting things came out of it. Things like um, he likely has ADHD, which is probably sometimes why he's bouncing all the time. Um, he, he may have significant trauma from his birth circumstances that you know we can't really identify he can't really identify because he doesn't remember it but he holds it in his body and it could be causing a lot of this anxiety Mm -hmm. um you know he's a hugger he loves to hug he hugs anybody and everybody (laughs) and um one of his therapists said in children that have had 
major medical interventions from at an early age, they often feel a sense of, of emptiness or a hole that they need to fill. And they fill that with contact. So Aiden is always touching people, you know, always has his hand on you, rubbing up and down. And, and that his therapist felt was filling whatever hole he imagined he had from all that medical intervention when he was little. Um, I just found that very interesting to think of it in that way. Um, but he's, it's totally, I mean, it's totally true that he does all that stuff. Um, I don't know whether that's the cause, but. Um, it is interesting though, to think that, like you said, that he, even if he can't, you know, explain it, that he holds that like within his body. And that's like, it's, it's just amazing, you know, the things that we're capable of, good or bad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and it's interesting because, you know, he wouldn't remember. He was so little, mm-hmm. but that he has this, um, you know, this feeling or whatever that, and, and maybe he remembers some of it, you know, because he was in the hospital for about, I say, the first three years, pretty regularly yeah. for mm-hmm. surgeries and stuff. Um, so anyway, so then, um, you know, other things that came out of it were that he had, you know, they finally put on paper, he has auditory processing disorder. He has visual processing disorder. He has developmental coordination disorder. He has a motor processing disorder. And we were finally like, okay, now we have it on paper. Like, we're not crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, now we can, and, and you know, one of the things, I know we always talk about labels and not labeling versus labeling. You know, no one brought up ABA. No one brought up any of these things for Aiden, which would have been great when he was littler because he did not have a label. And so sometimes when people are hesitant to get one or to, or they're afeared that they will, I sometimes say it doesn't hurt to try to see what's going on because if you do get a label, sometimes that opens up a whole set of doors of things that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, like my insurance wasn't going to pay for ABA unless he had an autism diagnosis, which he didn't have. So I would have had, you know, I would pick, if I really wanted it, I would pay thousands of thousands of dollars. So right. um, in any case, so, you know, they, they came up with some ideas of therapies and uh, we ended up putting him on an anxiety medication. And that really, really, really helped um, calmed him down a little bit. The sensory stuff, um, it got a lot better very quickly. And um, he we pulled him out of school and homeschooled him because his first grade year, the year that he had this anxiety attack. He was pulled out of the classroom so frequently because he couldn't cope um, that he didn't learn anything. Mm-hmm. So we actually repeated first grade in a homeschool environment. His so what it would have been his second grade year, and then halfway through his second grade year, we were set to move somewhere else and ended up being sent back to the United States and and then found our way to Chicago where we are now or Naperville, which is where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. When we did that, we went from being homeschooled or for a private therapeutic school to homeschool to now having to figure out public school. So his therapist, feeding therapist said, you need to go to this developmental pediatrician and you need to have it all on paper before you get to the public school because you don't really have anything that they're going to they're going to hold because they wouldn't recognize any of his paperwork from London, any of the doctor's stuff, um, any of the IEPs that they had written. Um, and so we went to a developmental pediatrician in Richmond, who is actually a friend of mine. And she just, she walked in and she goes, has anyone said he has autism? And I was like, no, but it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense because (laughs) 
you know, and, and at this point they started realizing it's not going to get better. He's now eight Mm -hmm. and he still doesn't make eye contact. He still doesn't have functional speech. He still can't hold a pencil. He still, you know, walks on his toes and fidgets with his fingers and spins in circles and hums and becomes disassociative when there's the sensory noises are too loud. You know, there's all of these things that are going on and they're not getting better. And so she she wrote, you know, autism, ADHD, um, again, the motor processing, developmental coordination. I mean, there was like eight things. And, and, you know, at that point I was like, okay, you know, there was actually kind of a bit of rejoicing in our house because we just felt like for so long, it was one thing after the other that we couldn't, we couldn't identify what was going on. What was the cause of this? Was it that or was it that? What was the cause of this? Was it that or was it that? If we change this, will this get better? If we do this, will that get better? We just never could figure it out. So with her diagnosis, she said, because at the time we were homeschooling still and um, living in Richmond, Virginia, she said, I want you to do the max amount of ABA. And I said, okay. So we signed him up at a, um, it's like an after school center. They take kids that can't go to school. They take them during the school day, but then there's like an after school program where kids from all over are bussed in and they stay there for about four hours after school every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get ABA together. And um, so each one has individual goals, but they are, they play games together or they get their rewards together or they do other things together. Um, and to be fair, um, it didn't really do what we had hoped it would do for Aiden, but I think it was because he was a lot older. Um, I think ABA is great. Um, in, in, I think Aiden would have really, really benefited from it if I, if we had done it a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he was so set in his ways at that point and the therapist would, you know, were, they would almost hold him as like a model for the other kids, which was very unfair because then he would act out to be like the other kids. And then it was, I don't know, it was just, it was a, you know, an interesting situation. Um, and so when we left Richmond to move here, we decided not to continue it, um, And we just decided to see what would happen. Um, He had been making such good progress with homeschooling and everything. We felt like, let's see what the school is going to offer. Let's see what what it's going to look like. I don't even know how he's going to deal in a class of 20 kids. Um, You know, I don't know what his educational skills are like and all this other stuff. Um, And so then, yeah, so then we showed up in Naperville and decided to um, go through with the, the public school and then do the IEP and everything. And, and, you know, to be fair, it's not been the best experience, but it hasn't been terrible. Aiden has risen to the challenge a lot. I've been very proud of everything that he's accomplished um, in the short amount of time that we've been here. And, you know, I don't regret getting the diagnosis. We certainly don't define him that way, but it really did help us to get him the services he needed because if we had stuck with he's just going to be delayed and it's going to he's going to grow out of it because he's a preemie I, I really feel like we, w- we would just be really bad off right now mm-hmm. um, I just I don't I can't see that he would have been able to make all the progress that he's made had we not had something to go forward with um, so what is his school situation now he's in what grade he's in third grade now mm-hmm um he so last year as a second grader was his first year he spent a lot of time outside the classroom he is the the way that his school is set up he is mainstreamed most of the day 
Okay. Last year in second grade, he was pulled out a lot because he couldn't handle it. Um, we have since tried a different, a new combination of therapies and medication, and that has helped. So this year in third grade, he is able to remain in his class, and they've been pushing in his support as opposed to pulling him out. Mm-hmm. Um, he does get pulled out for testing because he uh, he can get um, his his behavior has gotten a lot worse. Um, since we started school and um, I think it has a lot to do with his anxiety Um, and but he he just he can really get kind of disruptive if not monitored properly so Mm -hmm. um, they you know they they really have to he does have an aid in the morning he has an aid at lunch a different one and then they push in support in the afternoon but they are able to come get him if he's completely disruptive or you know, he still does have medical things. Mm-hmm. So sometimes he does have to go to the nurse and, and things like that. Um, or if he's like very upset about something, they have a, we have a, pr- a procedure in place um, to take him out. And so, you know, there, there, there is that. But, you know, from last year to this year, he's made huge progress in being able to stay in the classroom and function for the most part um, along with his peers. That's he, wonderful. Yeah, he does get um, adaptive PE, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard someone else talking about that. That I had never heard of that, but it's like super cool. Mm-hmm. You get that. Um, he, you know, he has a, a long IEP, lots of accommodations, mm-hmm. lots of accommodations. Um, but he he really is exceeding all of our goals. And what you know, one thing I told him, like, because last year was really tough. It was his first again, first year in a public school, first year in a big class first year being expected to do things like raise your hand and stand in line and, you know, not hit people on the playground. Yeah. It's huge. Especially Mm -hmm. if you never learned that, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause his school in London was so small that there wasn't really that, that kind of discipline. So um, yeah. So, you know, we were all kind of sort of waiting and seeing what was going to happen. And I told them, I said, listen, we're, we're going to be here a couple years. I want, second grade I want the year to be like yeah fine if you want to wait and see and flush out what's going to be the best that's great but I want third grade to be the year of consistency yeah like I want it to be in writing and I want everything to be in place and I want him to understand what's there for him so that he has a sense of consistency then in fourth grade you can challenge him to 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 lose some of that support and see how he does you know and if he does poorly then you can put it back if he does great then you can take it away you know that our goal is to make him as independent as possible Right. I want to challenge. I feel like he's up to the challenge in some situations. He's up to the challenge in others. You know, he's still so, so innocent and naive in some situations. I just don't. Um, <laughs> here's a case in point. They had, they had the fire safety guy come to the school and do like a learn not to burn thing where they talk about, okay, you know, if your house is on fire and you're going to have an exit plan and you have to draw a map of your house and how you're going to exit. And they had to bring it back. Well, they decided that Aiden shouldn't go at all to the presentation because he gets so concerned about things like that, mm-hmm. that and fixated on it that he would, um, you know, it would just ruin his whole week. Mm-hmm. You know, it would just make him so upset. And in some situations, like little things like that, you know, he's just so, um, he, there is a, like a naivete. It's almost like, you know, mentally, I would say he's about first grade. So all of his friends are in kindergarten. 
because mm-hmm. he mentally gets along with them. The kids in his class, he kind of doesn't understand and he doesn't fit in well um, because he is, you know, still in a way mentally delayed from like, his chronological age. And uh, okay. technically he should be in fourth grade, but we held him back that year. So, right. You know, he's a year older than the kids in his class. That makes sense. I I remember like, I don't know, it was a long time ago. I read like a blog post um, that another autism mom had put up that was talking about like some of the like positive things like that come with autism. And that was actually one of the things that she was saying, because her son was a little bit older, like more like 12 or 13 and kind of getting into that, like, you know, puberty sort of an age. And she was like, he still has that like, you know, naiveness to him that she's like, I'm actually really thankful for it because she's like, I feel like it buys me a little bit of time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to worry about these things. And I was like, that's true. I was <laughs> like, that's a good thing. A good thing to think about. Cause yeah, it's like, I do feel like you, there's that threshold of time where you're like, Oh gosh, like you're really, you're, you're crossing over into that, like, you know, big kid territory. Uh, that's for me a little bit terrifying. So like, okay, at least we got like a few extra years of that. Like, you know, cause there's that, just that like little kid, like sweetness and innocence oh, yeah. that they have. And yeah, like if you can, I'll, I'll take as much of that as I can get. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I was even thinking, you know, when I was growing up in third grade was the year that our teacher pulled us aside and said, okay, girls, you need to be be wearing deodorant after gym class. I can yeah. smell it from here. And I was like, how do I even talk to him about his body? Like he still can't wipe his own butt. Like I don't, <laughs> you know, like I have to do most of his daily living tasks. I don't yeah. know how he's going to be able to, you know, there's, I don't know. And maybe I'm just not giving him enough credit, but I'm like, I don't know how to talk to him about that when his, he's so innocent. Yeah. So, you know, he's so young of mind and young of heart. And I don't know baby steps baby say yeah. i'm not i'm not thinking about it right now I'm yeah we'll cross that bridge when we get to it yeah. when he's so smelly that they send a note home that's when i will do it. there you go that until, until it's a problem it's not a problem so yeah yeah definitely um, well it sounds like he's made some some really amazing progress which i mean and like you said you are kind of getting the sort of concrete sort of protocol in order for this year, um, which I think that alone is really helpful because I mean, I think all kids do well, you know, with that like routine and schedule, but I mean, especially with kids on the spectrum, it's like, they really thrive on that routine. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, and, and he doesn't like, you know, he doesn't like to be surprised. So yeah, if the schedule changes, he's like freaked out and complaining and doesn't want to go to school and, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, I just wanted him to know, okay, when this happens, this is what I can do. And these are the people I go to and, you know, and just have a a general consistency, even just of like educational plan, you know? Right. These are the accommodations he gets. This is the amount of, you know, they is, he's very good at reading. He can sound out the words, but he has no clue how to answer questions about it. So he'll read you a whole paragraph and you ask him what it said. He'll, he, he won't be able to tell you. Um, that's incredible though that he's that he can read so well. Oh yeah, he's always it's it's funny. That was the first thing he was able to do was read. And then, you know, you would ask him, you know, what is it, you know, oh well maybe you're reading, you know, um the snowy day, you know, some picture book that he really loved, and you'd be like, Well, what what was he walking in? He'd be like, I don't know. You know, like <laughs> even though the word is in the title, you know, there's there's the answering of questions. He's like very slow to process. 
Mm-hmm. He has little to no working memory. So okay, math is really difficult. They're memorizing this year and he'll do it twice and then he'll have to do it again. Same exact problem. He won't know the answer, even though he's already done it twice. Um, and a lot of that is not autism related necessarily, but definitely something we, we look at as we think about, you know, what, what effects of his, the damage to his brain can we identify, you know, and, and that, you know, the, the processing speed is definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, He is very slow to answer questions and respond appropriately. Um, He scripts a lot. So he um, watches YouTube videos. Well, we took away YouTube for his behavior, but (laughs) he used to watch YouTube videos a lot and then recite them. So he'd be in class mumbling under his breath and they'd be like, Aiden, you have to stop talking. And, they would ask him, you know, what are you talking about? And he would just start scripting these, you know, cartoon videos or whatever he was watching on YouTube. And they were like, I don't, we don't even understand what you're talking about. You know, he, he would go all into it, you know, <laughs> um, but he'll respond to questions with um, idioms now because we use them at home. So he'll use them, but he, I don't think he knows what they mean. Um, but it's like, it's, if, if he knows that that's the response to the kind of question you're asking, he'll say it, even if it's not appropriate. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's kind of funny he's that way. Funny. So he sounds like a trip. <laughs> he, he likes to tell jokes. One of the things we did during feeding therapy was he had to take like three bites of his food for every, um, like there's, we had like the stoplight timer and he had to take three bites of his food. And then if he took them in the time allotted, he would get a, a prize. And one of the prizes used to be telling jokes. So he had like a, a roster of these knock knock jokes that he would tell them over and over and over and over again. That was like his reward. He loved it. He thought it was the best so thing. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves a good joke. So yeah. I mean, he is going to be a comedian. Um, yeah. Um. Well, what I mean, what an incredible story. It really, like I said, there were so many twists and turns. But that was like halfway through. There's even yeah. more twists and turns. I know. Um, and I don't know. I don't feel like I gave even the most of it. But, you know, that the gist is that, you know, our journey, as I said, we, we got that diagnosis later in life, but it just has been like a never ending. Like it, it while he is now making upward progress, he also, you know, his his um, medical problems have come back. Or, you know, then all of a sudden his medical problems cease, but all of a sudden his behavior gets worse, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's just one thing after the other, just to manage everything. It's sort of our journey has not been linear as much as, again, as I said, like a, like a spiral, one step forward, two steps back. But it's um, like a spinning wheel, like yeah, the, yeah, spinning you, wheel. you know, we land on one thing and then another thing falls off and it's just like, you got to keep on, keep it on basically. But yeah. I mean, it sounds like you guys have been, uh, I mean really persevering through all of it and and like trying new things and oh yeah you know just I mean good for you because it definitely that that sounds like you've had you know more challenges than your typical autism (laughs) which is hard enough as it is for sure oh right definitely well that kind of brings me into then okay so you guys have had all these sort of unique challenges Mm -hmm. um and I I do want to talk about or getting a little bit long on time but I do want to talk about um your your latest endeavor so kind of tell me about that so one of the things that has always been a thread like a a positive thread throughout our life has been the memories that we've made with Aiden throughout our various travels so for the first five years we were in the states but we traveled extensively went to Arizona to see his parents um 
Aiden at the time was a year. He was still on oxygen when we had to travel. He had to take his feeding tube with us, you know. Um, we didn't let his whatever was going on stop us from from being together and being out of the house. And it was really important for us to be out of the house because when we were in the house, we felt like everything was sort of closing in on us, right? Mm-hmm. There were all the feeding tube supplies and all the oxygen supplies and all the educational aids we bought and all of the therapy tools and everything just like looking at us and, you know, telling us, oh, you're not trying hard enough. I don't know. I'm just making this up. But um, it, it really was that being in the house for such long periods of time was just very stressful for all of us. And so it was very, it was a release really to get out and enjoy the world together. Um, we used to take Aiden um, to this little park around the corner from our house, had a mountain trail and we would take him, you know, half a quarter of the way up and back half the way up and back till he could get all the way to the top without complaining and we just we really just got him out and about and um when we moved to london everyone said oh the transition's going to be terrible he's going to have such a hard time and actually he did really really well um he did not get nervous about being in a new place um he you know he didn't he didn't seem to like lose his ability to eat or anything that we had gotten made progress um, when we first made that move, he didn't even really have a temper tantrum in the hotel when the Wi-Fi didn't work, which is what he used to do. Um, you know, he, we just, it, it seemed to be that we really had these great times together when we were enjoying adventures, whether it was like to the local playground or whether we took like a driving tour of Scotland or we did a driving tour of Italy. Um, and and, you know, one of the things is, is that we just did it. And I, people always would say, well, I don't even know how you do it. Like I have four kids and I can't do, I don't want to do all that stuff. And, and you do it with a feeding tube. And I was like, you know, it's hard. It's not easy, but it's rewarding. And it's something that our family has really enjoyed. And we've seen a lot of positive benefit in Aiden. You know, he, his behaviors cease when we're away um he he's not as fidgety and he's not as whiny and he's not as um he doesn't get as anxious um even when the plans change last minute he's not screaming about when are we going here and when are we going there and you told me we're going here and whatever um you know and so uh a friend of mine whose son is um autistic as well and a bit more severely um had asked me for help because she wanted to take her family somewhere that they'd been going for a while, but it was getting increasingly difficult with her son because of his behaviors. And, um, and she said, you know, can you just like help me figure out what to do? And so I did. So I said, yeah, let's, let's talk about some tips and let's talk about some ways and some destinations and some, and um, it came to pass that recently, you know, Aiden needed my attention more than I felt like my job needed. And so I thought, you know, what, what value can I give back? You know, this journey has been long and I've learned a lot of lessons. Um, and I really feel like I, I'd like to give that, you know, what I've learned to other people, give that, that same feeling of really enjoying each other and, and getting away from the stress of it all um, to someone else. So I did start um, working for a travel agency um, and I'm getting my um, certified autism travel professional certification. I'm in process now, so I'll get that soon. Um, but one of the things that I've done is I've started a new community called the Unique Family Adventure Club. And I say unique because um, we are all on a different journey. Like I, you've said many, many times in the podcast, every child with autism is different. So 
every family's needs, especially when they're taking a vacation, is going to be different. And it's going to be unique. It's going to be unique to their family. So whether it's autism or Down syndrome or sensory processing or cerebral palsy or whatever, you know, we can all learn from each other how to make the best out of living with a little bit more of an adventurous spirit, getting out of the house, um, enjoying each other, opening doors to new experiences. And it doesn't have to be on a plane. It can be in your backyard. But mm-hmm. the idea is, you know, really like living with more of a spirit of of having these shared unique experiences with your family. Um, and so, yeah, so the community itself is is just a place where people can come. I've been posting, you know, uh, questions and little things to think about and quotes and whatever to get people thinking and sharing. I mean, I'd love to, you know, for people to share their fears or their successes or, you know, how they're doing or what they'd like to be able to do and, and need some help. Um, so that we can all kind of support each other and and see whether or not, you know, adventure in their lives can provide a little bit of stress relief and a little bit of positivity and hope, I guess. Yeah, I I love the mission. I think that is because I feel like that's something, it's hard to travel with kids in general. Yeah. But yeah, when you add that extra layer of, you know, a child with special needs, whether it be autism or ADHD or, you know, whatever it may be, it definitely adds that extra layer of, you know, okay, well, how are we going to do this? Um, But yeah, I mean, especially for me personally, I talked about it. I want to say it was episode three when I talked about like family dynamics and stuff. We always do really well when we, when we go out of town and we don't go anywhere too crazy. We love Michigan. That's kind of our, our happy place, but we just, um, I feel like you're, you're able to have, like you said, like the stress of like the day to day, you know, that, that kind of melts away. So it's like, even though it's difficult in other ways and you have like other challenges, you're, you're able to really, like you said, you know, have that, it's so rewarding and you have that bonding time where you're together and you're making these memories. And even if it is more difficult, it really is so worth it to, to find those accommodations and do what you have to do to get that time. And I love that you're helping people to figure out because it is, it is so unique and different to each family, what is going to be helpful. Right. And I, you know, as part of the, as part of my business, which is, I want to say it is separate from the group. So don't worry about being spammed by business stuff when you're in the group. But, um, you know, part of my business is the fam, you know, families come to me and they say, I, I, I don't know how to do this. And so we start from the beginning and we think about where they might feel comfortable, most comfortable going, you know, let's even talk about just going somewhere. Where do you feel most comfortable going? Then once you've identified that, then we talk about, okay, what accommodations are available there? What do you need? Um, I'm like, I'm right now, not right now on the podcast, but right now on my computer, you know, (laughs) creating a social story for a family that's going to Universal, um, whose child has autism and, you know, and social stories are, were, are huge for Aiden. Like we make a social story for everything. He has a, like a little pouch with all of his social stories in it (laughs) that he carries from place to place, but he lives by those. Um, you know, and if that's what your child needs, then great. I, I just met with a woman the other day who makes weighted blankets. You know, if your child would like a weighted blanket to be on the plane, you know, we have a weighted blanket. Or um, I have a friend that that does relaxation and she does the has these um, eye pillows for kids, you know, have, you know, gifting your child an eye pillow so that they can have like when they're in the worst place, 
with the worst amount of noise that they can lay on a bench and put the, and have a little bit of quiet, you know, and have a little bit of relaxation, whatever your family needs to make that successful. Like I want to be able to help. I love that. That's, that's incredible. Cause I think a lot, a lot of times, you know, autism and families in general, it does get like really heavy and it, and you need, you need that break and you, you like, the idea of you know taking a vacation and like kind of like recharging the batteries mm-hmm. sounds so great but when you're when you're stressed with other things it's like okay well is this is this more work than it needs to be but yeah like you said when you have the right supports and like those little extra things to help it, it's it's so worth it yeah and you know and you know so I've been getting a lot of feedback both um you know positive and negative and and a lot of times people say you know well I've been on vacation with my child and it was horrible. It was ruined. And, and sometimes we just have to realize that not everything is going to be perfect. Like we can't Mm -hmm. look at someone's Instagram vacation photo and say, that's going to be my life because it's not, you know? Um, And the reality of the situation is you're going to have a meltdown. Somebody's going to have a meltdown. Somebody's going to be tired. Somebody's going to be hungry. Um, But we can't let those little moments define the success of the entire thing. Right. So if we dwell on those tiny little things, that you know and then and make those into bigger things than they really are then we'll we'll miss all the amazing moments we could be having you know when we're not when those situations are not so like we were in Italy Aiden threw up all over this restaurant and then he got had this when he does this he has these meltdowns these epic meltdowns um and we ended up staying in the hotel room for the rest of the afternoon now I could have been like angry and blah 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 and I can't believe I'll never go on vacation with him again because he always does this and yeah, I mean, it always happens at least once a vacation. We spend an entire day in the hotel room. <laughs> However, while we were spending a hotel day in the hotel room, we were telling jokes and, you know, and making each other laugh. And Aiden was, even though he was sick, you know, he was, he was smiley and cuddly. And, you know, it wasn't a bad time. Mm-hmm. Yes, we missed out on a day in Florence and we'll have to go back and do it again. But it did not, that specific moment didn't ruin our ability to enjoy each other. Mm-hmm. So we just, you know, a lot of times we just kind of have to like reframe our expectations that it might not be a relaxing vacation, but it's going to be rewarding in some respect. Absolutely. Yeah. That's my advice to like pretty much everybody about anything is like lower your expectations yeah totally (laughs) I'm like just lower those expectations and things are going to be a lot better (laughs) exactly (laughs) yes that's always and just like like you said the perspective is is so important uh well it's been so wonderful chatting with you yeah definitely it was such a it's such an interesting story of kind of how you guys got here and where you are now. And I love what you're doing with the unique family adventure club. Thank you. Um, and that's just, we, th- people can find that on Facebook, correct? Mm-hmm. Facebook.com slash groups slash unique family adventure club. All one word. Um, eventually I will have um, a website up and then that will have like blog posts, um, a little bit about me and then some tips and tricks and things like that, but it will all direct to the group specifically. So right now that's the best place to find it awesome well thank you so much sarah for coming on the podcast and oh thanks for having me me. awesome all right well i know i'll be talking to you soon okay (laughs) all right thank you 
All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Sarah. I really enjoyed talking to her and just hearing all about their journey and especially considering how how different it was and the path that they took. It just shows that all of our stories are are so different and yet connected in a certain way and there's just there's that kind of shorthand you have with other autism parents that you just don't really find anywhere else. Um, and I love what she's doing with uh, the Unique Family Adventure Club. So go check them out on Facebook. Um, I also have to give a little shout out. If you are listening to this episode on the day it is released, which is December 12th, um, this day is very special because it is Logan's birthday. My little baby boy is six years old. I already feel like I could cry. I'm recording this the, the night before, and I'm just feeling all all the feels, <laughs> if you will. Um, actually, I'm going to do an episode soon, kind of talking about um, just all, all the different sort of emotions around his birthday, and now obviously we're getting into the holidays, and kind of how we get through all that and what that looks like for us. Um, and then kind of getting into the new year as well. So look out for that coming soon. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect with me again, I love hearing from everybody. You can email me at adventures in autism, 2018 at yahoo.com, or you can find us on Facebook at adventures in autism podcast and on Instagram at Adventures in Autism Pod. So any of those platforms, I if you are would like to talk, I would love to hear it. So that's really all for today, and I hope you guys enjoy the show, and take care.